have you ever struggled to get somebody's attention? I mean, maybe there's a meeting going on and there's somebody across the room and you're trying to make eye contact, you're doing little movements, trying to catch their eye. Or maybe there's somebody and they're just talking a mile a minute and you have something important to offer, something important to contribute, and you're trying to slow them down. You're trying to get their attention so that you can get a word in. But you feel ignored. You feel just unheard. Maybe there's somebody and you've got your eye on them, but you feel like they don't even know you exist. And so you try to do something to get their attention. It doesn't seem to work. So you become a little more obnoxious because, hey, any attention is better than none at all. You know, we've probably all felt at one time or another just the sting of being ignored, of being unheard, of not having someone's attention when we really want it. And so the question comes, well, at what point, at what lengths do you go to to try to get their attention? And at what point do you just kind of walk away and say, well, this is useless? The truth is, we probably all would have walked away long before God did. This morning, we're going to be looking at the life of the prophet Hosea. And as we do, we'll see the lengths that God went to in order to get our attention. You need to understand that Hosea, he was prophesying during a time of relative peace and prosperity. It was around 755 BC. The northern kingdom Israel was doing well economically. I mean, the main threat at the time was Assyria, but Assyria seemed to have her hands full with the Arameans. So there was no real threat that the people could see. I mean, this was a time of prosperity and in a time of goodness, of wealth in the land. And so no one would have thought that their, her demise would have been right around the corner. It was a time of confidence, but consequences would soon come. And so Hosea is trying to get the attention of the people and God would use the life of Hosea as an example of how God was working to get the attention of the people. I want you to see that this morning. We'll see how Hosea gets our attention. Let's go ahead and read the first chapter together. Hosea chapter 1, all 11 verses. The prophet writes, The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will have no more mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah. And I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war, or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she had conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. 
And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Hosea gets started and he, he's letting us know right off the bat when he wrote. He begins by listing all the kings of the southern kingdom, Judah, because the line of David ran through the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had several different dynasties and everything. And so the northern kingdom, even though Hosea's message is going to be primarily directed to the northern kingdom, Israel, he begins by listing the kings of the southern kingdom because this is where the line is continued. Continuing. This is where the promise will be fulfilled. And so he also is going to speak to a broader audience, not simply the northern kingdom, much like when we talked about Obadiah and Joel, how they extended their message to all nations. Hosea is going to do the same thing. And we look at Hosea, we're kind of reminded that sometimes the biggest stories can be illustrated in the smallest of ways. So it is with the story of humanity. You have all of humanity illustrated through the life of this family. Also, God can get the attention of his people. It's the story of Hosea, Gomer, and their children. I, I want to begin just by introducing you to this family, to each of them. First, we have Hosea. And if you're ever reading through the Bible thinking, you know what, it'd be really cool to be a prophet, you know, to be the one who like stands up as the voice voice for God to the people, the one who gets to be this, this voice of truth to your generation to speak with all the authority of God. I mean, it sounds exciting until you realize that sometimes God asks his prophets to do some very strange things, some very difficult things, because God will use the lives of the prophets to demonstrate the character of God. And Hosea, well, maybe he asks him to do one of the most difficult things of all. As soon as we're introduced to Hosea, we're immediately introduced to his wife, Gomer. Hosea gets this instruction, go take this unfaithful woman, this woman, Gomer, to be your wife. Now, a lot of people have trouble with that, and they're looking at this, and they're trying to reconcile, like, how could this be? How could God give this type of instruction, this type of command to a good man, or a righteous man, a faithful man, to take on this kind of a woman? And so there's been all these different views that have been floated out there that, uh, you know, maybe this isn't a real story. Maybe it's just like an allegory. Maybe it's a parable. Maybe Jose is having a dream or maybe, maybe it was more like a spiritual adultery kind of a thing. All, all these different ideas that come out. The problem is, it's very specific. We even get Gomer's last name, really, her father's name. She's the daughter of Diblaim. And so the prophet, he's making it clear, no, she's a real woman. This really happened. I really did marry this woman of unfaithfulness. Anytime you have this type of specificity in the text, it's always a true story. There's no example of any kind of parable when you have this level of detail. Yeah, Hosea, he has to go to the red light district to find this woman, this woman, Gomer. See, yeah, God does ask his prophets to do some very strange things, and Hosea is not the only one. I mean, you look at the prophets Isaiah and Micah, 
they're told that they're, they have to go around barefoot naked as they're issuing their prophecies. I mean, Isaiah, he's going around naked and barefoot so that he can say, hey, my life is uh, illustrating the judgment that's going to come against Egypt and Cush. It kind of gives you a little insight as to this great scene in Isaiah chapter 6 where the Lord is high and lifted up and his train is just, is, is just overflowing uh, the, the place and the question, who will go for me? And then Isaiah, he sings this song, here I am, Lord, send me. And as he says that with all this confidence, he must have had no idea that God would call him to this strange thing, to go naked and barefoot. Jeremiah, he was told to walk around with a yoke around his neck because that yoke would symbolize the, the yoke of exile that Judah would have to endure at the hands of the Babylonians. Ezekiel, he was told to lay on his left side for 390 days to illustrate the difficulty that the northern kingdom Israel would have to go through and then to lay on his right side for 40 days to demonstrate Judah's punishment. See, we, we've seen the Lord, we see the Lord do just strange things with his prophets to, as illustrations for people, but perhaps nothing more strange, nothing more difficult than what God will ask of the prophet Hosea. You know, your marriage is supposed to be something that's celebrated. It's, so, it's supposed to be something that's honored. It's this great covenant that you make with your spouse before God and God institutes this beautiful picture of marriage. And you can imagine, especially in those days, all your family, your friends, the town, all comes out to celebrate. And here's Hosea. He's this pastor, a preacher, someone who speaks for God. And he said, hey, here's the woman that I'm marrying. It's Gomer. It's the daughter of Diblaim. But she has a reputation. I mean, everybody knows about Gomer. You can imagine the whispers. You can imagine the gossip, the conversation that's taking place around this marriage. Oh, any esteem that Hosea might have had in the village, oh, you, you can bet that it went down. I mean, who would respect this guy? He's a fool. Who would take that kind of a woman? I mean, what? And now he's going to talk like he's speaking for God? I mean, give me a break. Nobody's going to listen to him. Not with a wife like that. Not with a woman like that. He must be some poor poor, desperate man. Oh, you can imagine the rumors. You can imagine the gossip. You can imagine how people would have seen Hosea when he says Gomer is going to be his wife. So Hosea marries Gomer and then they have a son and God says to Hosea, I want you to name him Jezreel. Jezreel means God scatters or God plants. See, when you're a prophet for God, it doesn't only give God the right to tell you what to do and to call you to some strange, difficult things. It also gives God the right to name your children. We see this with several of the prophets. God would tell Isaiah, hey, in Isaiah chapter 8, I want you to name your son Marshal Hashbaz. It means speedy to the booty, swift to the prey. And so to Hosea, he says, I want you to name him Jezreel. Jezreel was a reference to one of the most powerful kings in the northern kingdom.
kingdom to the dynasty of Jehu. There were several different dynasties in the northern kingdom. There wasn't just this one line. And Jehu, he was a, a king who overthrew the Omri dynasty at the valley of Jezreel. And he was supposed to do some things, but he did other things that he was not supposed to do. And, and God, he then made this prophecy that went forth and said, that, hey, I'm going to allow the dynasty of Jehu to last for four generations. And then at that time, I'm going to cut it off and it's going to be done. Well, at this point in time, you're getting close to the end of the fourth generation, the time when Israel will now be scattered. And that's what Jezreel means. God scattered. Jezreel, it also has this connotation of battle. It's this place where throughout Israel's history, both in the past and in the future, very significant battles took place. This was the place where Deborah and Barak defeated the Canaanites or Gideon's defeat of the Midianites or the place where the Philistines defeated King Saul and the Israelites. And just beyond the valley of Jezreel is the city of Megiddo. So the valley of Jezreel is sometimes called the land of Megiddo, which is going to get carried over to the New Testament, the book of Revelation, where this ultimate battle, this climactic war, this apocalyptic battle takes place. And we know it as Armageddon, Har, which means mountain, Megiddo, Har Megiddo, Armageddon. Uh, and so that's where this will take place. Jezreel is the place where God will decisively deal with his people. This is the place where Israel will also lose her independence to Assyria. It's where the empire would be wiped out and the 10 tribes uh, or 10 of the tribes of Israel will be scattered. Assyrians coming in from Damascus will then infiltrate the land and those from the northern kingdom who will be left behind, they're going to be forced to intermarry with the Assyrians. And so this is where the Samaritans will come from. It's this scattering, how God will scatter his people. And so he says to Hosea, you name your son Jezreel. You know, today would almost be like naming your son Pearl Harbor or 9-11 or Bagram. I mean, you, you can imagine how that would go over, right? I mean, just imagine an, an Israelite family at that time coming over to kind of visit uh, Hosea and Gomer and just look at, oh, what a beautiful son you have. Oh, he's going to be so strong and so great. Congratulations. How God has blessed you and shown favor on you. This son that you have, how exciting. So what's his name? Jezreel. Oh, that's interesting. Is that some kind of a family name or, or, or something? What, why Jezreel? Because God is going to scatter his people. That's why we named him Jezreel. I mean, you, you can imagine how that's going to go over, right? I mean, they're, they're looking at you thinking, okay, yeah, that, well, that's great. We'll, we'll see you later. I mean, this guy's nuts. His wife, everybody knows her character, and their son is named Jezreel. You know he's going to have some issues growing up. Hey, everybody, stay away from that family. Something is not right there. I mean, you can imagine the reputation. And then sometime later... Another child is born, this time a precious little girl, a beautiful baby girl. And God says to Hosea, I want you to name her Lo Ruhamah. Now, we don't know Hebrew, so when we hear that name, Lo Ruhamah, we say, oh, that sounds pretty. That sounds really nice. Lo Ruhamah, isn't that, isn't that sweet? Understand, Lo means no or not. 
And Ruhamah means mercy or love. God tells Hosea to name this little girl Lo Ruhamah, not mercy, no mercy, no love. Can you imagine someone coming, that same family coming over again and say, oh, I heard you had a daughter. Let me see. Oh, let me hold her. Oh, she's so precious, so beautiful. Now, what's her name? Not loved. No mercy. I mean, it's awful. So awful. We almost want to laugh. Like, who would name their kid that? It's got to be some kind of a joke. No one would really name their kid that. I mean, this little girl, this innocent girl, she's done nothing wrong. Why, why would you have a name like that? Is it even legal to give a name like that? And everywhere you go, whenever anyone ever asks, hey, what's your name? There's that reminder, lo ruhama, no mercy. I mean, it's got to be some kind of a cruel joke. What's your daughter's name really? No, really. Her name really is no mercy. And then the people would almost gasp. Oh, my word. Why? Like, why, why would you name her that? Because God's going to judge his people. He will not show mercy to Israel. I mean, can you imagine what kind of an outcast this family would become? I mean, who's in inviting this family over for anything? There's Hosea's foolishness. There's Gomer's reputation. There's Jezreel's. God's going to scatter us. And then Lo Ruhamah, there's no mercy. I mean, what a frightening family. Then, for a brief moment, Hosea uh, mentions this ray of hope for Judah, for the southern kingdom. And then another son is born after Lo-Ruhamah has been weaned, which in the ancient world was usually about three years. So you can imagine about three to five years later, another son is born. Gomer's pregnant again. You can imagine the people wondering, okay, what are they going to name the kid this time? We've got some strange names over here. And the son is born and God tells Hosea, I want you to name him lo Lo ami, not my people. I mean, the very heartbeat of God is to create a people for himself. This is the promise to Abraham, stretching all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant. That from you, I'm going to create this mighty nation, a people for myself. They will be my people. I will be your God. This stretches through to the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, the ultimate fulfillment of this promise. When you have the new heavens and the new earth and God says, you shall be my people. This is what God has always been after. I mean, how strange this instruction must have sounded to Hosea, this prophet, this one who speaks for God. And how here's this rough and tumble little boy, just such a strong son and so much energy, so much life. And then people will be asking, so what's this boy's name? Lo, a me, not my people. It's this language of disownership. It's a reminder that God has seen the adultery, the rebellion of his people, and they will be cut off. And then can you imagine, yeah, this is Loami. Would you like to meet the rest of my children? Here's Jezreel and here's Lo Ruhamah. God will scatter. God will not show mercy. No mercy. I mean, what kind of a sick family is this? This is what must have been thinking. The people of the day are looking at this, thinking, this is weird. This is strange. Do not even get near them. We look at this family and say, this is so weird. It's so striking. But then we take a step back and we have to be confronted with the fact that this family is us. Because we all deserve to be scattered. 
We all deserve to have no mercy, to not be God's people. We deserve harsh consequences for our sin. We deserve harsh consequences. Now remember, Hosea, he's talking during a time of relative prosperity. I mean, there's wealth in the land. The land seems safe. The Assyrians are occupied. Nobody is paying attention to Hosea, to this message. It would sound like, who's this guy talking about? And this strange family with all these strange names. I mean, nobody's going to be paying attention to a guy like this. But as painful as it was for, it must have been for Hosea to look and to know this is what's happening. God's getting ready to judge the northern kingdom of Israel. He's going to scatter the people and to know what's coming to a nation and to have no one paying attention. It must have been painful. But perhaps even more painful was the pain that was taking place in his own family. So understand that right when God told him that he was going to take Gomer to be his wife, he said, you're going to have children of unfaithfulness. Because of Ho Ho uh, Gomer's unfaithfulness, you're going to have children of unfaithfulness. And so the first son is born, and the Bible tells us that Gomer bore him, bore Hosea a son. His name's Jezreel. The next two... Now, you don't get the names, that, or you don't get the, the phrase there that Gomer bore him a son. Why? Because these are the two children of unfaithfulness. They're a result of Gomer's sin. And then their names, Lo Ruhamah, No Mercy, Lo Ami, Not My People. Every time Hosea has to say their names, it's a reminder, these kids aren't really mine. These kids are the result of my wife's sin. Every time, I mean, the pain that he's dealing with in his own family because he sees the sin that's continued. Oh, she was unfaithful when he met her and she's continued her unfaithfulness. Just the pain of that. It's one thing to see the pain of the nation. It's also for Hosea now to see the pain of his own family. So these names are given and you feel the pain of the prophet. But at the end of chapter one, there's this note of hope. Because God says, hey, all those promises that I've made, the covenant that I've established, I am reaffirming all those. There will be a great day of Jezreel. There will be a, a day coming of Jezreel where the people will be scattered. But remember, Jezreel has a double meaning. It also means God plants. And so the prophet says there will be a great day of Jezreel when God plants his people back in the land. So how are you supposed to get there? Well, that's kind of where chapter 2 picks up. And as you read chapter 2, we don't have time to kind of look through all the verses, but the prophet is speaking and he, he starts by saying, hey, just plead with your mother because she's not my wife. I don't want to claim her anymore. She's a woman of unfaithfulness. And if she doesn't change her ways, I'm, I'm going to ex, uh, exact some consequences on her. I've done so much for her. I've given her all these gifts. I've given her grain and oil and wine and silver and gold only to discover that she's taken these precious gifts that I've given to her and she's given them to all of her lovers. And they in turn have used these precious gifts as offerings to Baal. To false gods. I mean, you, you can just feel, I mean, the language in this section is graphic. It's almost hard to read. You feel the pain of the prophet just kind of dripping off the page. I mean, can you imagine being in that situation? 
where you've loved your spouse and your spouse just continues in unfaithfulness. You give gifts of love, gifts of generosity, only to discover that they've taken all these gifts that you've given and they've just given them to all of their lovers to try to entice them. And then these lovers, the kind of character that they have, they'll just take the gifts and just use them in offerings of worship to false gods. I mean, it is painful. And the pain of the product, I mean, it just comes through the page in graphic detail. But then he continues and he says, I'm going to put an end to all her evil, to her feasts, to her new moons, to her Sabbaths, to her festivals. I'm, I'm going to lay waste to her fig trees and her vines. And as you're reading this, all of a sudden, the, the language switches to a point where you get the idea Hosea, he isn't just talking about Gomer. He's not just talking about his marriage. But he's talking about God's relationship with Israel. You see the parallel, and that, that's what his whole life is meant to illustrate. That how his marriage with Gomer illustrates God's relationship with Israel. And so the pain of the prophet is the pain of God. God wanted a people for himself, but they went after other gods. They raised their children to worship other gods. In some uh, cases, even sacrificed their kids to false gods. He's gifted his people with various gifts and blessings, only to see them use those gifts and blessings to advance their own causes, their own agendas. You understand the pain of the prophet is the pain of God. But you know what? The same thing can be true today. God still experiences that same pain. Why? Because he's gifted you to make disciples. He says, here's the gifts that I want to give you. I'm going to give you these various gifts so that my people can go make disciples. And yet sometimes we take these great gifts that God has given us and we use them to advance our own agenda, to further our own causes. We don't care about making disciples. We care about making more of us. And this same pain, this is the type of pain. We get this unobstructed view into how this hurts the heart of God. But Hosea shows us how God will respond to that kind of hurt. We get an unobstructed view to that as well. How does he deal with this pain? How does he respond in this pain? Yes, there are consequences. We read through that. But now I also want you to hear Hosea 2, 14 through the end of chapter 3. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Accor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at that time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. 
And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So what's God going to do with all that pain, with all that hurt, with this ultimate betrayal? He says, I'm going to go woo Israel back. I'm going to pursue her. And he illustrates that through the life of Hosea. He says, I want your pursuit of Gomer to illustrate what I'm going to do for Israel. And so in chapter three, God says, Hosea, go get your wife. And the picture of what's happening there would have been understood by earlier audiences, but sometimes we miss just the gravity of what's happening. Gomer, at that time, she's a prostitute. She would have been on an auction block naked, just there pinched and prodded for the highest bidder. And there in the back of the crowd, perhaps, is her husband, Hosea. And he's bidding for his wife naked for all to see just in her shame up on the stage and as the bidding goes up it's almost as if he runs out of coins he has all the silver that he's brought with him but that's that's all he's got but the bidding is going higher and so he's got to raise the bid he's got to win his wife pay for his wife and so he offers whatever food he has this barley this grain hey anything to win his wife. And he pays all he seemingly has. I mean, he's evidently a poor man where this is all he's got. And he pays seemingly everything so that he can buy his wife naked off the auction block. A woman he shouldn't have to pay for, a woman who should just be with him, a woman who's made this covenant, but is broken it time after time after time. He's paying for his wife. At a point in time when she hasn't repented, she hasn't said, oh, I'm sorry. She hasn't tried to make things right. She hasn't tried to do anything to win back his affection. No, she's still in the midst of her sin, still in the midst of her prostitution, still playing the part she's always played. But Hosea went and purchased her. And God says, I want you to do that because this is an illustration for how I'm going to deal with my people. You understand this picture of Hosea buying his wife off the auction block is the same picture that we see when we were still sinners. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross for us. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of our depravity, God came for us. Why? So that he could have a people planted in his security, Jezreel, so that he can ruhamah, have mercy on low ruhamah, no mercy, so that he can say ami to low 
of me so that his children who do not deserve mercy can have mercy so that his children who do not be who do not deserve to be called my people can be called his people you know what he does that so that we can be his family and now be that example, that light to all the other nations. That was the purpose for Israel all along. Now that's the purpose for me and you as God's church to be a light. See, we're called to use our stories to illustrate God's marvelous love. That's the challenge here, to use your story, however ugly it is, maybe like Hosea, to illustrate God's marvelous grace. See, Hosea's life was meant to be a wake-up call to Israel. Can you imagine seeing this man come to this auction block where his wife is naked up on a stage and him giving everything he has to buy her off that auction block and then to turn around and say, what I'm doing for my wife represents what God has in mind to do for you. Does the prophet have your attention yet? Well, then you'll have to tune in next week to see what he does with that attention as he calls people to come together with love. Heavenly Father, as we read through the story of Hosea this morning, we're struck by the fact that while we were in the worst of our sin, in the midst of our depravity, you came and extended your love for us. You gave everything. You gave your son on the cross for us so that we who are undeserving, can be called your people so that we can receive your mercy and be planted and established in your love. And now we get to use our stories to be a light, to speak to others of your marvelous grace. We need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.